Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello, and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But as you know by now, we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Raising children is rewarding, of course, but it's also incredibly challenging. Parenting can be frustrating, exhausting, busy, overwhelming, and stressful as we cope with every changing emotion of our children and of ourselves as we run from one activity to another day after day. So if parenting is so exasperating at times, can it really be peaceful? My next guest says yes, and she should know because she's written the best-selling books about this very topic. Dr. Laura Markham trained as a clinical psychologist, earning her PhD from Columbia University. She is the mother of two, now ages 21 and 25. Dr. Laura is the author of the book Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, How to Stop Yelling and Start Connecting, and Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings, How to Stop the Fighting and Raise Friends for Life. And she has a new workbook out called The Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids Workbook. And that is something you're sure to love. I've read through it myself, and I think it is terrific. You can find her online at www.ahaparenting.com. That's A-H-A parenting.com. So thrilled to have you back on the show, Dr. Laura. So welcome once again to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Oh, thank you, Robin. I'm delighted to be with you today. So before we launch into all the strategies and reflection that you provide in your new workbook, the Peaceful Parent Happy Kids Workbook, I'd love to know what prompted you to write this workbook after writing the book Peaceful Parent Happy Kids and what's different about it and why now? Mm -hmm. Well, I wrote Peaceful Parent Happy Kids five years ago and I hear from parents all the time, like several times a week, parents write to me and say how much they love the book. They've learned so much about how to coach their child instead of punishing and how to connect with their child. But they often also say that the one chapter at the beginning of the book on regulating your own emotions isn't quite enough for them. Mm. It Mm. helps. They understand now why they need to calm themselves down and not yell so much. But doing it you know, stopping yelling or changing your tone or calming yourself down in the middle of chaos at your house or when your kids are fighting, those things are hard. And if we come with baggage from our own childhoods, which we all do, then it's even harder. So I wrote the workbook to help people dig in and find tools that work for them. There are a lot of different tools in the book, so different tools work for different people. And they're both the short-term tools, like what do you do in that moment when tempers are raging? And there are the longer-term tools, like what do you do for preventive maintenance for yourself? Mm. 
when you go into an interaction with your child, you have more inner resources to draw on so that you can be the emotionally generous parent that you want to be. It's so helpful. And reading through the workbook, I felt like I was gaining so many strategies just from my first read through. But I have to ask you sort of the elephant in the room, because it's sort of standing there. If parenting is so crazy and emotional, can it really be peaceful? It's not going to be peaceful 24-7. Nobody can stay peaceful 24-7. That's an aspiration. And what I mean by peaceful is that we, you know, it's what the physicians say in their code and their vow. First, do no harm. Right. Our goal, our intention that we set clearly is to return ourselves to a state of calm. You know, the the man who invented Aikido famously was asked by one of his students, Master, how are you always ready when the opponent jumps out at you? And he said, I'm not always ready. I just get myself back to center faster. Mm. And that's what we want to do. We want to monitor our state of well-being throughout our day. And that way, when we see ourselves sliding dangerously close to the edge, you know, anybody is going to go over the edge if they get there. So our job as adults is to notice when we're getting close to the edge and bring ourselves back to center. And it also makes us happier people to monitor our own state of well-being and give ourselves what we need. I'm talking about resourcing ourselves, you know, giving ourselves the encouragement we need, the food we need. You know, if you if you notice all day long how you put yourself last on your list, yes. you put right. else put your last. I mean, half the time we don't even go to the bathroom when we need to. You're so right. <laughs> you know, like really, we can be on our own list. It's not sustainable not to be. And there's a cost, not just to us, which is bad enough, because we deserve more but also to our children. Because again, you can only give what you have inside. Mm -hmm. So very important to make sure that we're on our own list. I love that statement that you just made. You know, most parents, not unreasonably, they just want their kids to behave. The kid knows the rule. The parent has been over this. Let's just do the right thing, folks. So why do you you focus so much on parents working on themselves instead of focusing on children and correcting their behavior? Okay, that's a great question. And I agree with you that that is what we all want. We just want our kids to do what we say. Right. (laughs) Is that when you live with children, you're going to have childish behavior. (laughs) Oh, I like that very much. Let's just put high beams on that. When there's childish behavior, you can respond to it in one of two ways. You can inflame it by basically going on the attack. You know better than this. How many times do I have to tell you, right? Or you can calm the storm. And, Mm. you know, one of the reasons that children act out is because they feel disconnected from us. You know, when they get stressed and dysregulated, children depend on a close relationship with an adult they trust that allows them to return to safety, return to center, and get re-regulated. And until they do that, they don't think well and they can't regulate their emotions. So if your child is already acting out and you can't regulate yourself in that moment, and let's say it's a moment that any of us would find ourselves like ready to go off the deep end about. Right. 
we're still going to do a better job if we can get calm first. And it doesn't mean the child doesn't need correction. But if we connect with the child before we correct, inevitably, the child is more open to listening and the event is less likely to happen again in the future. Mm. I like that connect before we correct. I think that's something that we really need to think about with our children and with anybody that we meet, you know, that people want to hear that we are, we believe in them, we are there for them before we start criticizing or trying to make changes. It's, it's so important to see your child first before you see the behavior. So in your book, you talk about three big ideas, taking responsibility for regulating ourselves as parents, as you just mentioned, ensuring that we connect with our children, and using emotion coaching, as you say, it's, it's a really important, effective discipline strategy. So these big ideas guide the framework of your peaceful parent, happy kids concept that help us as parents step up and, and parent our kids in a peaceful way. So I'd love for you to expand on the next, on these three ideas. So let's start with taking responsibility for regulating ourselves that you touched on in that last question. So tell us, why do you believe it's so critical and what are one or two ways that we can do this in our own lives? Well, remember children, they're very highly tuned to us, attuned to us, Mm. because if we weren't there for them, well, when they're little, they would actually die. And they know that humans are born wired, programmed to look for that adult they trust who's going to actually look after them, protect them, make sure they stay alive. Mm. And kids really notice our moods. And when, you know, you'll notice it if you're unhappy and and your kid doesn't think it's about them, they'll say, mommy, why are you unhappy? Yes. Right? They, but sometimes they don't even notice it's happening, but we're in a bad mood Mm -hmm. and pick up our stress. Sometimes when we're just super busy, they get very like, demanding of our attention and it can drive you totally crazy if you're trying to get something done and your kid is interrupting you constantly right, right. but it's the famous thing you know if you're if your kids are playing happily and you get on the phone all of a sudden they're attacking each other they're acting out and <laughs> you're right and it's because they need to know that that connection is there and it's solid you know you can blame it on their genetics which go back to the stone age that are saying to them well, if a tiger jumps out of the bushes, is she going to even notice? Here we are. We're, we're going to be prey to the tiger. You know, it seems crazy, but, and it's certainly not conscious, but children feel vulnerable when our attention goes somewhere else. Or that includes, you know, if we're stressed and focused on other things. So our being centered, our, our being available emotionally to them, emotionally generous, uh, it makes us the kind of parent we want to be. And when we aren't that parent, it makes everything worse for our child. In fact, it can make our child act out. A kid who wouldn't have been acting out often will act out in response to our stress. So yeah, it really matters tremendously that we're able to show up and be fully present. I would add one more thing. Mm. Children follow presence. They, you know, when you want your child to do what you say and to follow your lead, you have to be clear, you have to be firm, you can't be waffling. And you have to be fully present. You can't be like, you know, 
half, half, you know, half paying attention while you give them an order because they're <laughs> paying attention to what you say. When you're fully present and you're connecting with them, they're like little Geiger counters for presence. Mm. And they, you know, children are intense. They're fully present. They're, they're until their brain rewires at age six, and even somewhat until the brain rewires again at age 12, they have a different sense of time than we do. And they are much more in the present moment than we are. And they get whether we're there or not, and they don't follow us unless we're fully there and present and connected to them. Mm. So given that this is so important for our sanity, their sanity, can you tell us a little bit about what we can do? I mean, just in that moment when we are feeling so frustrated, that would be a, a, one of maybe something from your workbook that, that we can actually do to, to stay present, to um, make sure that we are, uh, we, we are peaceful, that we're regulating ourselves. What is something that you tell, you, you talked a little bit about t- putting us on the list, but what are some specific things we can do? So many things, but my favorite is stop, drop, and breathe. Think of it as your pause button. We know that when you pay attention consciously to your breathing, it does bring you back fully present. It keeps you from getting hijacked into those tape loops that run in your head about how your kid is never going to get potty trained or they're, they're going to be a criminal because of the way they're always stealing dumb from them or whatever it is that you're going off about in your mind. To stop that or just to stop that cascade of, of negative emotion and anger because, you know, what, what is an emotion? It's an, an event that we feel in our body where we're flushed with neurotransmitters and hormones that we identify in a certain way, given the context. I mean, you could identify your heart pounding as, you know, you're at the gym, you know, or you could identify it as excitement if you're on a roller coaster, and you could also identify it as rage if your son mm-hmm. is just a daughter, right? So, so all those neurotransmitters and hormones that are rushing through your system at that moment are making you enraged. Mm-hmm. And if you stop, stop what you're doing, drop your agenda, and your agenda, of course, is to tell your son he can't do this. Now, obviously, you've already, he's not sitting there pounding her in front of you. He, you've already stopped that. But now you want to correct him, right? And so your agenda is to correct him. Right. And, and then stop, drop, drop your agenda just for the moment. Drop your agenda of correcting him because you can do it more effectively when you calm down a little. And take a deep breath. Stop, drop, and breathe. Mm. So that breath does. It's the pause button. And the body says, oh, I guess it's not actually an emergency. If it were an emergency and we needed to be in fight, flight, or freeze because there was a bandit coming after us, then we wouldn't be taking a deep breath, right? We'd be running or whatever. <laughs> right. Clearly, clearly, there's no emergency here. We don't have to keep these neurotransmitters going. We can stop and calm down here. And the body actually begins instantaneously to respond to the new situation that the deep breath has told the body it can calm down. So that helps you somewhat, although three breaths is better than one. Mm. And the more you practice the breaths, the more effective they are, right? So mm. I've had people tell me it doesn't work for them. Well, then you're the only human being in the history of the world that it doesn't work. <laughs> deep breaths actually do calm us. It's just statistically true. But it's also true that if you're a yoga practitioner or a meditator and you do 
you pay attention to your breath, you know, on a regular basis as a practice, it will come to you more quickly. When you stop, drop, and breathe, you'll shift gears much more quickly. Mm, mm. So stop, drop, and breathe is really effective. And then you can turn away and you can do something that's going to, again, help you shift gears from your rage, which is, I mean, you may have to say to your son at this moment, I am too angry to even talk about this right now. Hmm. You and your sister stay in separate rooms mm-hmm. and talk about this, and I want you both to be on your best behavior and we're gonna talk about this in a few minutes. Now, if the sister's hurt, obviously you've tended to her before any of this. But if there's just, you know, a fight between the kids and they're both breaking the rules. So at that point, you take a minute to calm down. If your kids are old enough for you to leave them, you go in the bathroom and you shut the door. If you have a three year old who's gonna be panicked into an, you know, he, his abandonment issues will get triggered if you go in the bathroom. You don't do that. You stay nearby, but you might go into your kitchen. And I would say run your hands under water. Some people find warm water really soothing. Mm-hmm. Some people find cold water to, if their hands get hot when they're mad. Sometimes cool water is soothing. Um, you know, you might, before you even put them in the water, you might shake out your hands. That's actually very effective to get out some of the energy that's coursing through your body. And again, you're breathing, you're taking deep breaths. So you're shifting your physical state. Mm-hmm. But remember, your, your perceptions are shaping that physical state. So your perception is that your children are always fighting and it means, you know, they're terrible people or you're a terrible mother. Oh, of course, okay. yes. Then you might as well just give up and die now because people never love you because you're so ashamed of your job you've done as a parent. I mean, it's amazing how one little thing will set us off on this downhill slide and all, and you know, it's like uh, Robert Guess, who teaches leadership trainings, um, calls this the elevator shaft. Like you step in on the 10th floor, everything's fine, and then something happens and it's just plummeting and you're watching floors go by and wondering how you end up in this dark basement where you just, oh my goodness, no one will ever love me again, I, I'm, no one will protect me, I'm gonna die. And it seems crazy, but if you actually look at, and I have this exercise in my workbook, hmm. if you look at this and do this exercise you realize the fact that your children are fighting you you start from oh my goodness here they go again and then you get to you know he's such a mean person he is he always going to be like this maybe other people for the rest of his life maybe they'll never get along with each other after I die they'll they'll hate each other <laughs> you're sliding down the elevator shaft and you need to know you're doing this. and the next thing you know you're operating, that rage is coming out of your despair about the situation, which actually none of it is even accurate, right? They needed some help to figure out whose turn it was with the iPad. You know, that was what they needed. Mm-hmm. That you're a terrible parent or they're terrible children, right? So I think changing your mind, we've already talked about changing your body, but the next thing is changing your mind. And there are all kinds of tools for that. I mean, the elevator shaft is a good one for issues that come up with again but there are all kinds of tools that I talk about in the workbook that are about using a mantra to change your mind like if you start to get anxious to say it's not an emergency right to calm yourself down and there are many mantras you can use so there's a process to to work with that and choose a mantra and and if a mantra hasn't worked for you in the past that doesn't mean another one wouldn't work it's good to write them down on stickies and put them around your house and try different ones because different mantras work for different people at different times mm-hmm 
Mm-hmm. Oh, these are all such good tasks to do. And I'm just busily writing everything down uh, because I really love all, all of these. And it's so easy to get into a state of catastrophizing and taking a look at what's going on in that moment and just you know, going down that elevator shaft and feeling like your child is never going to be liked by anyone because they can't get along with their sister and they said this horrible thing. And it's it's really easy to go down uh, that list as your child is seven years old and you've now thought about what he's going to be like as a 25-year-old and just this terrible person. So I, I really can understand how you can go from uh, the top floor to the basement in such a small amount of time. So if you are in the car and they are fighting yet again and you are feeling your hands, face, whatever, getting hot or tight and you are driving in traffic, you're trying to pay attention to the road, but oh my goodness, you are just getting incredibly frustrating. This one took my this, this one made the mean face, this one's starting to get handsy. So in that heat of the moment, in those types of very typical situations, how could you use some of these tools of regulation when your mind is supposed to be on the road and you're supposed to be being safe? Mm. Well, I do encourage you to pull off the road. You know, if you're really upset by this, as many people are, mm-hmm. I would say as safely as you can, not reactively, not angrily cutting across the lane, because you're <laughs> um, as safely as you can, pull the car over to the side of the road and Take some deep breaths. Your kids will notice what's going on at some point, and they will stop fighting and look at you. So that will have the effect of stopping the fighting. Mm -hmm. It helps. So use the tools that we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. Stop, drop, and breathe, the pause button. Of You know, use a mantra to calm yourself down. I also like to say another way to calm yourself down is reframing. And it's if you practice doing it, you'll find it gets pretty easy. And an example of how to reframe in this situation Reframe how you're seeing the situation. Notice how these different thoughts make you feel. Mm. If you're in the situation that you're talking about, in the car, and your perception of the situation is, these kids, they're always driving me crazy, you know, and he always picks on his sister, and he knows better. He's such a mean big brother, and they should know better than to fight when I'm driving, and I just can't deal with this anymore. Right now, how do you feel with that cascade of thoughts? Oh, I mean, you just get more angry and more angry. It's 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 infuriating. Exactly. You feel helpless and powerless to do anything about it, and you feel that make that drives your rage because mm-hmm. when when we feel helpless and powerless, we get angry usually, and you're ready to clobber both your kids. Um, but if instead, as you're sitting there, you stop and you say, "Okay, I'm going to make a big leap here. I'm going to choose." love and choosing love to me in this case means we see the situation from the child's perspective but it's not a matter of are you right or is the child right it's a matter of this is just an as accurate a perception and seeing it from their point of view will change your emotions and make you more effective in dealing with the situation so what about this perception of situation Boy, the kids are having such a hard time. They really need me to help them work this out. Mm. He's, he's really been on her a lot lately. He must be really unhappy. Something must be going on with him. 
You know, they should know better to fight than to fight in the car, but their brains are pretty undeveloped. They, they don't have the brain development to postpone a fight when they get this dysregulated. They need some tools to re-regulate. I can handle this. Mm. How do you feel now? Oh, so much more relaxed. I could just imagine in that moment, in after the stop, drop, and breathe, that you can say to yourself, this is just a moment. This is a moment in time. This is not all the time. And there's clearly something that my child needs from me that he's not getting. And I need to attend to that particular need. So I'm going to pull over instead of getting myself so wound up that nobody benefits from that at all. I love the one moment in time. This is just a moment. This is one moment. Because that's a mantra. That's what I mean by a mantra. Mm. It helps you put the whole thing in perspective. So you're able to do what I call choosing love. You're able to see it from another perspective. And notice that it's actually, those, that last set of perceptions is actually more valid than the perceptions that were going on when you were enraged about how your kids always drive you crazy. I'm sure your kids don't always drive you crazy. It's just that in that moment, when we're being driven crazy, it feels like mm -hmm. it's hard when you feel a big emotion to remember that there are, you felt other things maybe five minutes ago toward the same human being. Mm -hmm. you know? It's a very good point. And, and, you know, you can get taken away by your thoughts. And so just being present and realizing that these thoughts are going through your head can give you pause right then and there um, so that you can kind of shift into a different direction. So it's just really noticing that these thoughts are going through your head, how they're making you feel, and then knowing that you can then change how you feel simply by changing the script in your head. And I want to reassure the parents listening because somebody might be listening to this and thinking, okay, so this is 20 minutes later, you know, when they're late to school? Right. No, because the exercises in my workbook are designed to actually rewire your brain and strengthen uh, the buzzword is the vagal tone. But what all that means is the vagus nerve that is responsible for calming us down. If you have strong vagal tone, it returns you to calm faster. That's all. So the, the workbook is designed specifically to do that to strengthen your vagal tones, so you can calm down more quickly, and to rewire your brain so there's less of an alarm to begin with, so that your frontal cortex is stronger and can make, you know, its job is to handle the incoming. You know, it's like, okay, this one really isn't an emergency. And it happens even before you've jumped to rage, you know, so that you can intervene earlier in the situation before it gets out of hand, and you can do it in a less tense voice. So you have more sense of humor in your voice when you say to your kids, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you're still driving, right? You two are having such a hard time. We can work this out. I'm going to help. Okay. Let's all take a deep breath. And you can even do that while you're driving. It's just once things have gotten out of hand, then it's too late. But what I'm suggesting is that doing these kinds of exercises on a regular basis, they actually make it easier to return yourself to calm faster and even to prevent these kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. This all is, I think, really helpful. And it is important to acknowledge that it's not easy right away. It's not going, oh, all right, now I'm going to be present of mind and I'm just going to change what I'm doing. It's, it's not easy because we get frustrated and it's normal to get frustrated. And I even say to my children, I'm finding myself getting really frustrated right now. 
and and just expressing that to them and i call attention to look you, you, you must see my face my hands like i'm starting to get frustrated right now so that they understand that other people have emotions and that it's okay to have emotions and now i need to take a moment so that i can calm myself down and be present of mind and say things that I won't regret later. And if I do say things that I'll regret, of course, I wind up apologizing. But it's it's something that allows our kids to know I'm human. You're human. I get that you're frustrated. I'm getting frustrated, too, so that we can kind of work on it together. We're all in the same boat. I think that's such a good point because no human is perfect. No. And that means parent is perfect. We're all going to say things we regret. We're all going to need to apologize. And we're all going to need to hold it together, to turn away, maybe even to shut our mouth in the middle of yelling, give ourselves a piercing, turn away. You know, parents will say to me, you know, my kids will look down at me. No, actually, you're modeling anger management. Yes. Your yes. children don't need a perfect parent because they won't ever be perfect themselves. That wouldn't help them. What they need is a role model for what do you do when you're angry and you're getting frustrated? What is a gracious way to handle it with your kids so you don't take it out on them with another person because they won't have kids for a long time but what's a what's a way they can handle it with other people and if they do find themselves yelling and they notice it and they see the expressions around them what's the way to stop in the middle of yelling and say wow i lost it i'm going to calm down and then can we talk about this again and do a do over mm. Mm, mm, I love that because I think that's something that they need to be able to say. I talk to my kids about do-overs as well. And, it, you know, it's not just them that need the do-over, the second chance to try again. We sometimes do too. So I think that's a beautiful idea. So your next big idea is ensuring that we connect with our children. And you say that connection is really what our children want and need. So what would you say... What would you say gets in the way of that connection? And what are one or two ways that we can work on connecting with our children within the next day or week of time? Well, we all, um, virtually every parent I've ever spoken with, feels connected to their child because, you know, we would do anything for them. Right. But that doesn't mean they feel connected to us. Mm. When you really look at it, Often, they feel somewhat disconnected from us. And that doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. It means that life gets in the way. They go off to preschool or school or play dates or sleepovers. And or, or simply, we have a hard time for the week. We're really stressed out with heavy deadlines at work. And we're just going through the motions, getting them through the schedule, trying not to lose our temper. And they lose connection with us is what happens. Or it can simply be their own big emotions. When you're really enraged, let's say you're you're really angry at your partner, you forget that's the same person that you pledge to love forever and that you, you know, at other times think is the most wonderful person in the world, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's because you lose touch with the connection when you're angry. So our children, when they get angry at us or even angry at their little sister, they lose connection with us. Anger takes us off our connection to our own heart, really, and that's why we lose connection to other people and lose empathy. So our kids are getting disconnected from us really all day long. And so what we can do about that is build into our schedules with our children little rituals of connection. And 
those rituals can be little things like every time we see our kids at the end of the day when we walk in the house at, you know, six o'clock or when we pick them up at school at three o'clock or, you know, they wake up from their nap at two o'clock and we even when we had the morning with them, but they've had a nap now and they were away from us in a sense. Whenever we've had a separation, it's good to have a little connection where you really focus on them and pour your love into them, give them a hug, tell them you're so glad to see them. I mean, imagine how your child feels when you look at them with delight as they walk in the room mm. and see them. So those little rituals of connection, they don't add more time to your day, but they help your child feel what we all need to feel, which is valued and adored. And that gives your child the foundation of self-esteem for the rest of their life, but also the foundation of connection to you so they're more willing when you give them direction. They've had that connection first, and they're more willing to take your direction and your correction. There was something that you said to me at one point um, previously that even when we first see our children in the morning, look, that's an opportunity to look at your child with delight, as you said. And I really took that to heart when you said that to me, because sometimes when I get up in the morning, you know, and you see your children and they're lollyganging or <laughs> they're, they're starting to get in it with their sibling, you know, you can automatically start going to let's not go through this again, guys. Like, let's move on. You know, let's, let's get started. Let's eat breakfast. Let's get that. And just taking that moment, and and I've been doing this myself after you've said this to me, was, you know, walking out the door of my bedroom and seeing my child and saying, oh, it's so good to see you. You know, oh, I, I hope you had a good sleep. Can I have a hug? Just taking that moment, even if they are lollygagging, even if they are getting into it with their sister, just being able to say good morning with authenticity, of course, and really showing how much you love your child in that moment. It, it makes a it makes a difference. I really have found a huge difference just doing that. It sets the tone of the morning. Yeah, such a great description of the effect of connection. Yeah, there absolutely. are tools you can use that do take a little more time, like one on one time with each child, mm-hmm. or roughhousing, which there's nothing rough about it. It just means active physical play that gets the child laughing. And laughter, what happens when we laugh is that bonding hormones like oxytocin are released. So the people we're laughing with, we're bonding with. It also reduces the stress hormones in the body, which means if you have a child who's got some anxiety about going to school, the best thing you can do in the morning is get up 15 minutes earlier to get some laughter in with that child so it sort of drains off the anxiety and makes them feel more connected to you, which some people might think that would make saying goodbye harder, but it actually makes it easier because they, they're sure you're coming back for them at that point when, you're, when they're feeling more connected. Mm-hmm. So laughter is a, is a great one. Again, it doesn't have to take a lot of time, but laughter and one-on-one time or special time really make a tremendous difference in your connection with your child as well. Mm-hmm. So there is this point in your book, it's just this one line that really struck me. You said, notice that everything your child says is code for, please love me. And it just, it made me pause it. It took my breath away. Just that moment 
when our kids are being profoundly irritating to us, they are making annoying noises. They are leaving clothes on the ground, even though you've asked them once again to pick them up and put them in the hamper. They are needling their brother. They're needling their sister, even though they know it's driving people crazy. So can you explain how this concept of notice that everything your child says is code for please love me, like how that applies here and what is the action you would have us take in that moment to connect, to, to connect with their need to be loved when you are feeling like your child is being disrespectful and annoying? Well, what do we really all want? We want to be loved. We want to be seen for who we are and still cherished. And no one's perfect. So we want to be seen for who we are with our faults, with all the times we've messed up, and we want that to be allowed to be part of the picture, but for the person who's looking to be aware that that's not the whole picture. We're trying so hard, and look at all the good things we do manage to do, and that's what our children want also. That's that's the please love me, please see me. Mm-hmm. But remember, when kids get dysregulated, I mean, really, when all humans get dysregulated, they do something that they think will make them feel better. All of us. Sometimes we go get some haagen Sometimes mm-hmm. we you know, pull out our phone. But when we get upset, we do something to try to make ourselves feel better. And so when our children feel upset inside, and sometimes that upset is because their you know, sister did something to them or because somebody bullied them at school or because they notice the baby's on our lap a lot lately or whatever. They can't really tell us about those things usually, it not, not initially. It might come out after a big meltdown. But they don't usually start with that. Instead, they do something to make themselves feel better. And once in a great while, it'll be a positive thing, like they come to us and ask for a hug. Mm. But most of the time, it's not. They do something that's not as healthy. They tease their sister or they lash out in anger. You know, And it might be anger at a sibling who's done nothing, right? Or at us. And, you know, it makes them feel powerful, which makes them feel a little bit better. But it's not a healthy response to the situation, right? Or maybe they whine. They whine for treats or they whine for screen time, which, remember, they're trying to numb their pain, just like we were with the phone and the hot box. Mm. Or they look right at us and they break a rule, which guarantees that we're going to pay attention to them, even though it's going to be negative attention and it's going to make them feel more disconnected. But... When children feel connected to us, they are open to our influence, they're more likely to cooperate, and they're more likely to be able to go past their 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 ups their anger where that makes them lash out and go to the hurt feelings under the hurt feelings about the baby on our lap or about the bullying in school or about their sister. Mm. Because remember, you may think they're being unreasonable about their sister, but to them they're right. Their sister is the problem, right? right. We, we actually, we're all the center of our own dramas. We all assume we're right, even though we are not necessarily. So when children do things that drive us crazy, if we can just take that as a red flag to shift gears, because naturally we assume they're wrong and we need to set them straight. But what if we could take it as a red flag that they need us? They need our help, they need our reassurance, we can get back on track. They need our help to do that. And we just took it as a red flag and we took a deep breath and we said something like, 
oh, sweetheart, you're having such a hard time. We can manage this. We can handle this. We can fix this. Whatever the right thing in that moment, whatever seems like the right thing. And to you, can I give you a hug? Would be amazing. And often, in that moment with a hug, the child will sort of melt into your arms and your anger will melt away. And you'll realize, oh my goodness, he's having such a hard time. And sometimes he won't be ready for a hug. Sometimes he'll say, no, you can't have a hug. <laughs> True. My sister, blah, blah, blah. At which point you do the verbal equivalent of the hug. You say, oh my goodness. Oh, no wonder you're upset. Tell me about it. Now you think he's wrong and the sister's right. You can still listen. And you can still say, oh, so you felt like it was really your turn. Is that what happened? Let me see if I understand. Oh, no wonder you're upset. And then you can, now that he feels hurt, rage only dissipates when it feels hurt. That's a truism about any kind of anger. So at this point, when he feels hurt, he's able to start to calm down. And also, kids pick up, all humans pick up from us, our... Um, what our limbic system is doing. So if we're taking deep breaths and staying calm and looking into the child's eyes, the child begins to synchronize their breathing to us and get more calm. And at this point, he's now able to talk to you about the fact that actually he's being unfair to his sister because he's making the assumption it was his turn, but actually it wasn't necessarily. And how do we sort that out? But he had to feel heard before he could even get to the problem solved. Mm-hmm. So important. And, and of course, when we feel heard, then we can move forward. We can't move forward until we feel heard, because either that means we need to stuff it under the, the carpet, ignore it, or uh, have an explosion at that point, because we haven't dealt with the thing that's in the way. Yeah. So <laughs> before we move into your top tip, I'd love to talk about your emotion coaching your last big idea is that we, what, what you focus on in the workbook is this idea of coaching your child and helping them with their emotions and, and moving them forward without uh, just focusing on the behavior. So can you talk to us just a little bit more about how it helps and how we use it? You know, what is it? What are we, what are we doing in that moment? And maybe some examples of that. So emotion coaching just means we're helping the child with their emotions. And uh, John Gottman, who's the foremost researcher on families in the United States today, watched parents with their children. And he realized that most of the time, most parents are responding to kids' emotions from an upset place. They don't like the child's emotions when the kid gets emotional. It scares them, actually. And so... You know, when, when you're scared of your child's emotions, in the old days, they would say, I'll give you something to cry about. And you think they're not scared, but they are coming from a place of, boy, if she continues to do this, she's going to be a drama queen. She's going to cry about every little thing. So that is a kind of fear, right? So the disapproving parents will say things like, you know, don't be a drama queen or calm down or else you have to go to your room, right? Yes. Uh, they'll blame the child. See, it's your own fault because you did such and such, right? So... So a lot of parents are still disapproving. Other parents are what you would call dismissing or distracting, where they'll say, you're overreacting, um, or don't be upset, I can fix that, or we'll buy you another one, don't worry, you know. Um, so that's another way of giving kids a message that their emotions are not um, either valid, you know, don't get upset about that, you're overreacting, or 
are dangerous. Oh, don't get upset. We can fix that. We can make it go away. We can undo that. Uh, don't worry. And you're stepping in to rescue them, basically. And you're giving them the message that their emotions aren't okay. Um, and, and some parents are very well-intentioned, but simply they, they start to intellectualize. Like, mm -hmm. well, you can't win them all, you know, um, right? Um, so all of those things don't help the child with the emotions. So emotion coaching parents are not trying to solve the problem, at least not you know, when, like when I was talking about the boy who had the problem with his sister, you're not solving the problem by jumping in and fixing it, right? Which is trying to make the feeling go away. Instead, you're accepting the emotion. You're allowing it. Now, you can't really allow or disallow someone's feelings. They're either there or they're not. But when we allow, consciously allow our child's feelings, they begin to allow their feelings and they become more consciously aware of them, which means the feelings are under conscious control. Once they're under conscious control, the child can control their behavior. So emotion coaching helps kids control their behavior. And an emotion coaching parent might say something like, oh, no wonder you're so upset about this. Or, oh, sweetie, you look so sad. Or, wow, hearing your friend say that could really hurt your feelings. So you're simply acknowledging, you know, and you might say, it's okay to feel sad, sweetie. I see how disappointed you are about this. What could you do to take care of yourself when you feel this way? You know, we're all going to have days that don't go so well. And you don't want your kid to just go stuff themselves full of ice cream. So what could you do to take care of yourself while you feel this way and help yourself feel better, but without stuffing it? Because one of the positive things we want our kids to know is there's always a human being who they can trust to talk to. And if they get started with you that way, then they'll have those healthy relationships. Those are the relationships they'll feel comfortable in, where people actually listen to each other and commiserate in a positive way. and and acknowledge each other's feelings. And then, once you, again, vented, like the boy did about his sister, then you can say something to help them problem solve, like, wow, you and your sister, you know, really had a different perspective about this, and now you're both so mad at each other. I wonder how you could work this out, right? Or I wonder how you could work this out with your teacher, or how you could avoid this happening again, you know, with this with a spelling test where you didn't know the words. So, you're helping them prepare for the future, which is where resilience comes from. But it always starts by acknowledging the feelings. That's emotion coaching. Mm -hmm. So in the situation where your child has played a board game against his or her sibling and your child lost and it stinks and they're complaining and they're calling things out like, that's not fair and I hate you and you always cheat to whoever will listen you can use emotion coaching in that situation so that the child feels heard, the emotions feel valid, and then you can move forward to help them to deal with the situation. Absolutely. And remember, emotion coaching doesn't mean when you're validating the feelings that when they say you always cheat, that you say you, your sister always cheats. You're not agreeing with her. Just saying, um, Oh, you're so disappointed you really wanted to win it's hard to lose it's hard for everyone to lose right so you're acknowledging that now at some point you're also going to say either then or when they're calmed down you know you're you were disappointed but it's not your sister's fault she would have felt this way if you had won and she it doesn't mean she cheated you were i know mom i just was so mad i know and when you say to your sister that she cheated, it could really hurt her feelings. And by the way, one tip about this that's just really basic, and if you don't know it, it's good to know it. You can have a family rule that for all games like that, 
the winner cleans up the game. Because the worst thing when you've just lost the game and you're six years old and you're totally angry is when your parents says, okay, everybody clean up the game. Throw things, right? But at least if your eight-year-old sister who always wins the game has to put it away, and she doesn't mind putting it away. She's like, yeah, I won. I'm going to stack up all this money tidily. You know, she has no problem, right? So that's just a good basic rule. It, It takes a little of a sting out. It's not enough for most kids. But another rule that's helpful, we play for fun. We do our best. But it's not about winning. It's about fun with each other. And so... You know, you never ask your kids who won. You never walk into the room and say, who's winning? Mm. You don't even, when you right. pick them up from soccer, you never say, who won? Ever. You say, how is the game? Because you're trying to take the focus off competition. Because kids can't actually handle. They're going to have plenty of experiences of losing, believe me. And they're going to learn to be good sports eventually. But it's a hard thing for them to learn. So we want to really focus on what matters. I mean, if you say soccer is about good sportsmanship and athletics and learning to work as a team and having fun together, and the first thing you say is who won, well, your kid's going to know what you really value. This is so important. You and I have had conversations about you know, how to make sure that we're teaching our children what we really want them to learn in that moment. And we can't always be, you know, perfect about it. Of course not, because we have feelings and we get frustrated and all that kind of thing. But I think what you're hammering home here is you want your child to learn good coping skills. You want them to learn that emotions are normal. You want them to learn certain values of sportsmanship and kindness and you know, that that winning is not the most important thing. So whatever you think is really the most important thing that you want your child to absorb from you, from situations, from frustrating situations that are bound to happen when you're whether you're there or you're not, that these are the things that you want to kind of highlight. And when we flippantly say who's winning, who won, what happened, you know, give me the play by play of how you lost then you're programming your child to understand that winning is the most important thing. And if they didn't win, now we need to analyze everything so that you can win next time because that's really the most important thing. Yes. And we, you know, we all, the great thing about having children, they're like our little Zen masters. They show us the places where we need to grow. And, you know, um, it will, no matter what you think you value, it will come out in the way you are with your kid. If you tell your kid it's okay to lie about their age to get into the amusement park, you're teaching them that at least sometimes it's okay to cheat and lie, right? And so it's sort of a wake-up call to notice your your inclination to, to ask who's winning or to say you can lie about this or to even to tell a white lie in front of your children to another mother or someone on the telephone. You know, it brings home to us the places where we're inconsistent in our own values and it helps us get clarity about what actually matters to us. Like, does that extra two bucks matter or does it matter to be able to stand up tall in the world and say, I show up with integrity? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. And, and, (laughs) you know, sometimes when we make that kind of mistake, it is important if you're listening and just, okay, I did that and I'm not going to do it next time. Or I want to go back and tell my child, you know, I, the other day I did such and such thing. And that is not what I want you to learn from me. I regret doing it. 
and next time I'll do this or I wish I had done this instead. I think it's important to to sort of cop to it so that our kids understand that, yes, we make mistakes and we can also do a correction. Yes, and also that we're all growing. Yeah. You know, it really helped me to think about it in that instance with you, that it was just a normal tendency to do that. But then I realized what really mattered to me was X, Y, Z. So I want to do it differently from now on. Thanks for helping me notice this. Mm. Mm, I like that. Thanks for helping me notice this. It's so It gives kids such power to feel that they're also in a teaching role and that it's not always the adult that's uh, doing the teaching. I think that's really neat. So at this point, I'd love to hear your top tip, something that you really would love the listening audience to take away from the idea of being a peaceful parent and helping to build, create, inspire happy kids through trying to regulate ourselves and connect with our kids and coach our kids and emotions. So what what would be your very top tip that you'd like us to take away today? Hmm. I guess it would be this. You know, we, we are told by society that we're supposed to control our children, but we all know we can't control someone else's behavior. You know, just try with the two or three-year-old in the shopping cart in the grocery store. You can't control someone else's behavior. But you can always control you and what you bring to the situation. And if you respond in a calm way, you're changing your child's environment and your child's brain takes shape every single day in response to the environment in which they find themselves. So if your child's now in a calmer environment that deals in a soothing way with their upsets, your child's brain is actually growing and changing. And this is even true for a 12 or a 15 year old. So your ch- when you change, your children do change. Mm. And you know we think it's for their benefit and what I just described certainly is for their benefit, but here's the, the real silver lining of everything, which is that you know, sometimes we feel like, oh my God, parenting, it's such drudgery. I can't, you know, it's so much work. It's so hard mm. and it is. But then when we deepen and sweeten our relationship with our child, there's so much more joy in parenting. And our child is so much more cooperative that it's just so much more fun to be a parent. And the connection gets better and better as you build on that foundation so that you can totally turn around your experience of parenting so that it is uh, the most rewarding thing and the most joyful thing. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. So it's just a beautiful way of saying things. I just want to put high beams on that, that when we deepen that connection, when we acknowledge those emotions, then we're calmer, we can be more present and we can feel more joy in our parenting. I just love love what you stand for. I love what you teach. I feel like I learn something every time I speak with you. And I, I'm just so delighted that you've been on our show today. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get your new fabulous workbook and learn more about you and, and everything else you're doing right now? My website is ahaparenting.com. So that's A-H-A, parenting.com. And you can find the workbook there. 
you can also go on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or uh, go to your local bookstore and ask them to order it if they don't have it. It's called Peaceful Parent Happy Kids Workbook, mm-hmm. and uh, you know wherever books are sold. And the the website has a free newsletter that you can sign up for that helps keep you on track. It just gives you something um, once a week that just gets you reoriented to this kind of parenting and supports you to stay on track. Mm, Well, we all need the support. So we really appreciate you coming through for us and being that calming voice. I think I've said this before, but you just have such a beautiful way about you and you feel calm. When I'm around you, I feel calm. I just, it feels so good to have you in our corner. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. And I love to tweet with Dr. Laura. I'm also on Instagram now and so is Dr. Laura. So if you're on, please come on over, follow me, follow Dr. Laura. And I think you're going to love all the memes that we put out there. I mean, you have got to, you must have heard so many incredible quotes from Dr. Laura today. I put them on memes and they get shared all over the place. And I love that. I love to highlight the amazing wisdom of my guests. And Dr. Laura will have many memes out there made for her. So uh, I hope you'll come over to Twitter and to Instagram and all the other places that we are and share those. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so that other people can hear about Dr. Laura and all the other experts and talk about what is really going to help them listen to these podcasts and and use the strategies at home. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts. The show notes are up there. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, You've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not always easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week been listening to how to talk to kids about anything with dr robin silverman for more information on books articles speaking engagements or curriculum please visit drrobinsilverman.com